Today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 32, which is on page uh, 702 of the Pew Bibles. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The word of the Lord. I really like this passage. The first sermon I ever remember hearing on this text was actually at a church planters conference, and it was the first church planters conference I ever attended. It was called the Nineveh Project, and the Four C's is our denomination, and they put on a church planting conference. It's pretty small because there's only 320-some churches in our denomination, and so there's not that many church planters, but it was pretty small, and it was in March 2013. Uh, and it was in Revere, Massachusetts. And I went because I was interested in the Four Cs, and I had recently taken a church planting class the summer before, in the summer of 2012. That was when Monica and I did our study of the town of Westford. And at that conference, the Nineveh Project, I met the conference minister. So we have a conference president, but then we also have a conference minister. He's kind of like the pastor of the conference. His name is Ron Hamilton. And he had heard that we were, that we had studied Westford, and he just told me like, oh, when I heard that, I just thought, isn't that interesting? Because Ron had been praying for Westford Bible Church in, well, this building, uh, to give their building to a new church plant to to restart in Westford. So uh, he began to see the the pieces falling together uh, at that time, and that was that was three months before I got hired at Emmanuel Church in Chelmsford, and then it was nine months before Westford Bible Church approached Emmanuel Church and said, why don't you take our building and start a new church? So it was pretty cool to, to go to this church planting conference and get the first hints of what God might do uh, in Westford. Uh, but one of the speakers was named uh, Matt Cruz, Pastor Matt Cruz. Uh, now, some of you may remember Pastor Paul McFeeters. He led a group of us through some church plant training before we started the church plant uh, back in November of 2014. Uh, his church, Pastor Paul McFeeters Church, planted Matt Cruz's church. It's called Seven Mile Road. And so he was kind of the, the first one that went out of that church plant. And uh, Pastor Matt Cruz got up to speak, and he chose to speak on Jesus eating and drinking with sinners. And he shared how, like, this is Jesus' example of what we're supposed to do as Christians, as followers of Jesus. We're supposed to eat and drink with people that don't know Jesus. And I remember him sharing, like, this is what their church was trying to do, trying to get into the DNA of their church. And I walked away, like, convicted. You know, I was in seminary. I was not spending a whole bunch of time eating and drinking with sinners and and tax collectors. Uh, But I also was excited because this is what it meant to church plant. This is what it meant to kind of start a new church and try to reach out to those that don't know Christ. 
And then we got to start Cornerstone. We launched our weekly service in October 2015. And we've talked a lot about kind of ministry on the front line, reaching out to those around you. And I, I think we all have a desire. Like I think there is a desire in this church to eat and drink and spend time with people that don't know Jesus. I see it in how friendly and loving our atmosphere and how much we do use food. We're going to have food tonight after the service. And we have a time of uh, drinking pink lemonade and eating cheesy crackers, right, uh, after each service so that we can eat and drink with people that don't know Christ. But I don't know if we're doing this outside of our weekly gathering. I don't know if we're doing this in our own lives. And a part of that is just, I only know what you tell me. (laughs) So you may be doing this, you may be eating and drinking with people that don't know Christ, but I don't know because you don't tell me. So if you do do this, come tell me. It's not bragging, it's, it's encouraging to me, actually. It helps me gauge kind of where we are as a church. Uh, but I, I do believe we have the desire. And so I hope tonight, if you are doing this, if you are opening your home and you are eating and drinking and spending time with people that don't know Jesus, I hope tonight is an encouragement to you. That you're like, yes, I am headed the right direction. And if you aren't, I hope that tonight will be a reminder. That it will be challenging and motivating and a call for you to open up your life to people around you that don't know Christ. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to start to look at Luke chapter 5. Heavenly Father, thank you for this call. Thank you for this challenge in your word. These are your words. These aren't my words. These are your words. We want to take them home to our hearts. We want to, we want to grow. We want to be challenged. And so would you do that through your Holy Spirit, bridging the gap between what I say and all of our hearts here tonight. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to do a brief review of Jesus' ministry, and I want to do it with a map, kind of looking at where we have been uh, in the Gospel of John. Does this have a laser pointer? I think it does. Ah, it does. Okay, so we started in Bethlehem, which was down here. Uh, Jesus is born in Bethlehem, right? And then he goes home to Nazareth. Now, they make a trip down to Jerusalem to the dedication at the temple when he is a baby. Maybe they go straight from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. Uh, But then uh, Jesus grows up in the town of Nazareth up north in Galilee. Now, Terry preached on uh, the, the trip down to kind of the Jordan, the temptation of Jesus Christ. So at the beginning of his ministry, he makes his way down to the Jordan to be baptized by John. And then he is carried by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness. And then he makes his way back up to Nazareth. That's Luke chapter 4. And in Luke chapter 4, we saw him talking to his hometown, right, of Nazareth. And uh, saying, you know, I have come to preach the good news to the poor, the prisoners, the rejected, the, the captives. And, uh, and yet I'm not going to play favorites with my hometown. And his hometown of Nazareth throws him out. And then Jesus begins to start a ministry of preaching the gospel, preaching the good news in this region, the region of Galilee and near Capernaum. So we're going to see kind of Jesus' ministry in this area in Luke chapters 3 through 9. And then in Luke chapters 9 through 19, Jesus makes his way down to Jerusalem and then 
And at the end of 19 through 24, we see the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. So it's kind of interesting. The author of Luke wrote uh, the Gospel of Luke, and it's about going to Jerusalem. And then he also wrote the book of Acts. And if you know anything about the book of Acts, Jesus goes, says to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So there's kind of a going into Jerusalem, then there's a coming out of Jerusalem uh, structure in Luke and Acts. But that's an overview of where we are right now. We're in Luke chapters 4 and 5 when he is doing ministry in and near Capernaum. You know, he's actually uh, at the Sea of Galilee in our chapter. So I want to talk about some disciples that Jesus calls. And first thinking about the, the, the disciple Peter in verses uh, 1 through 11 of Luke chapter 5. But then he also calls another disciple. And there's a lesson that we can learn from Jesus calling the disciple Peter, but also the disciple Levi. And that's this, that Jesus calls sinners to become disciples. Jesus calls sinners to become disciples. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. So one of the first people Jesus calls to be his own, that Jesus rescues, is a man named Levi. And this, this account of Jesus calling Levi is actually also in the book of Mark and in the gospel of Matthew. But in Matthew, he is not called Levi, he's called Matthew. See, Levi actually had two names, Matthew and Levi. And there may be a theological significance to that, but we don't know. Now, Jesus calls Matthew Levi right here at the beginning, and Matthew went on to write the gospel of Matthew. So this is a pretty significant story that we're reading. So Jesus is walking alongside the Sea of Galilee, and he comes up to a tax collector's booth. And this is where he meets Levi. Now, this tax collector's booth is sitting by the lake, the, the, the Sea of Galilee. And we know that from Mark's account. He says there, the tax booth was by a lake. Well, it would have been this lake. So what was Levi doing? Well, he was taxing the fishermen. He was taxing the fishermen on this lake. So one of the people he may have recently taxed, which we would have read about if we had read Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, is Peter, the apostle Peter, the, the, the first disciple that Jesus calls. And we don't have time to look at that story in this series, but I quickly want to give you an overview. And we do have a sermon on the website about this text. But Peter and his fishing partners, they're out uh, fishing all night. They don't catch anything. And then Jesus tells them to go back out and cast their nets again. And they, they bring in so many fish, the boat begins to sink. And, and Peter is like overwhelmed with who is, is speaking to him, with who he has just encountered. He has encountered someone who can do supernatural things. And this is what Peter says. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. See, Peter is a sinner. He recognizes that inside his heart he is selfish, he is prideful, he, he does not have faith in God. <laughs> but outwardly, Peter looks fine. Peter would have been accepted. He's a fisherman. People would have looked at Peter and said, Oh, you're a good guy. 
But Peter knows that on the inside, he is a sinner. And then we look at Levi. We look at this other guy. So there's the guy on the lake. There's Peter, but there's also the guy on the shore. And what about him? Is he a sinner? Well, he doesn't say, oh, Lord, I'm a sinner. (laughs) He doesn't have to because everyone knows Levi. Levi Matthew is a sinner. He's a tax collector. He was part of that culture. If there are sinners in this culture, it is the tax collectors. Everyone looked at them as being unclean. The tax collectors, they, they worked for the Roman government. And, of course, the Jewish people didn't like that because they, they viewed the Roman government as kind of this enemy-occupying force. And so to work for the enemy, well, that was just wrong. That was just evil. They looked down on them. You weren't going to be accepted by like the religious elite if you were a tax collector. In fact, they were hated so much they were barred from like the synagogue and the temple. They weren't supposed to go there. But when Jesus looks at Levi, he doesn't care about those things. When Jesus looks at Levi, he says, come and follow me. This is pretty bold. Who are those people in our society that we look at and we say, that person is pretty gross. That person is too sinful to know Jesus. It's probably not your local IRS agent. Maybe it's, uh, there's a strip club pretty close to my house. Maybe there's someone in there that we would look at and say, that person, that person's too sinful, too dirty to follow, <coughs> to follow Jesus. What person in your life do you think of and say, hmm, that person's too gross? When Levi follows Christ, he gives up everything. He leaves the tax booth. He's not getting his job back. The Roman government isn't going to say, all right, you left your post, come and have your job back. But, but he was. He was willing to do this. Somehow, when Jesus looked at Levi, he saw the perfect disciple. Everyone looked at him and despised him and said, this person is a sinful human being. And Jesus said, come and follow me. So there's kind of two applications for our lives here. Number one, you're not too sinful for Jesus. You're not too broken for Jesus. Jesus doesn't look at you and say, wow, you're too gross to be in relationship with me. Even if you were doing bad things recently, even if you can count your sins off the top of your head. When a parent sees their child who's covered in mud and has been outside in the rain playing and this child wants to come indoors, they don't say, wow, you're too gross. (laughs) You're no longer my child. They say, hey, let me clean you up so that you can come in and be in relationship with the rest of your family. And God invites us into a relationship with him. He offers to clean us up, to forgive our sins, no matter how dark or how dirty we are. The second application is that a disciple leaves everything to follow Jesus. 
Both Peter, Peter left his boat, left his fishing business and followed Jesus, and Levi, they left everything. Now, does this mean that, like, you guys have to quit your jobs? <laughs> I have to quit my job, and I, like, we're going to have a room full of pastors and missionaries after the sermon. I don't think so. But I do think we have to, to leave our lives that are, that, are, that are going towards sin, leave a life that's dedicated to myself and my want and my dreams, and say, Father, what might you have me do? We have to rearrange the priorities in our life so that God is the most important. And then let him change how we go about our normal everyday life. When John is preaching at the Jordan, he says to the tax collectors to, to, to not extort, to, to, to gather funds fairly. He doesn't say quit being a tax collector. A disciple leaves everything to follow Jesus. Jesus calls sinners to become disciples. But not everyone accepts this call. See, the righteous reject Jesus and his ministry. The righteous, those that think, oh, I'm righteous, I don't need God, they reject Jesus. They reject God. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? See, the, the, the others, and the tax collectors, I've told you about them, but the others, who are they? <laughs> well, they're called sinners later. And there's a story of a sinner in Luke chapter 7, and that sinner is a woman of the city. She is a prostitute. So Jesus wasn't afraid to, to eat and drink with like, the outcasts, the most broken of the city. And the, the Pharisees, they didn't go into this meal. They complained to Jesus' disciples. They, they didn't even have the courage to complain to Jesus himself. They complain about Jesus. They say, why would you eat with them? See, eating in that culture was a, 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 a symbol of community, of fellowship. You invite someone over to your home to have dinner, even in our culture, if you like them, right? Or if you want to get to know them. You don't invite someone over that you, like, want to push away from you, do you? You share communion. You have fellowship with them. The Pharisees, though, they, they were too good for tax collectors and others. See, they, the, the Pharisees, they were, they were separatists, <laughs> That means when they saw sin, they wanted to separate themselves from the sin. The Pharisees wanted everyone to, to be pure, everyone to follow God's law. That doesn't sound bad, right? But they actually wanted everyone to follow the laws that applied to the priest. They figured, well, if everyone acts like a priest, if everyone acts like a pastor, then we'll all be good. There will be no sin in this culture. They sought power, so they weren't priests. They weren't Levites. And so they had to get power through politics, through recruiting, through social maneuvering. Now, this isn't a perfect illustration, uh, but the Pharisees remind me a little bit of the pilgrims, actually. Because the pilgrims were separatists. The pilgrims 
came to America because they wanted to separate from the Church of England. They wanted to start a new uh, church that was doing it the right way. They wanted to start a new form of government, that government based on, on God's values. And those separatists actually started a little branch of churches called Congregationalism. <laughs> and so we, as a congregational church, have a little bit of DNA of the first pilgrims, the first separatists. And so I think it's fair to say that we even have a little bit of DNA of the Pharisees. We're not so far from them. We're not so different from them. But Jesus, he loves to challenge the belief system of Pharisees. He challenges them by saying, you know, is it truly separation that brings purity? No. Jesus is not afraid to get among dirty people. He challenges their belief that sin runs through other people, that sin only runs through bad people, not good people. No, sin runs through all people. He challenges their belief that if we can just get everyone to obey the law, and if we can just get everyone to hold to the Old Testament values, then, well, our culture will be fine. He challenges that. He challenges their belief that power is what matters. No, it's actually the powerless that matter most to God, who God uses. I want to know if I'm a Pharisee. Pharisees perceive themselves as being better than others. I, I, I may be a Pharisee, you may be a Pharisee, if you look at others and think, I am better than them. If you say, I am in the good box, <laughs> and they are in the bad box. We do this all the time, don't we? I can think of people that I, I look at and say, wow, they're in the wrong spot. I am better than them. Well, that's a pharisaical tendency. You may be a Pharisee. I may be a Pharisee if I believe that getting those around me to obey God's law is what matters more than sharing the message of Jesus Christ to them. I may be a Pharisee, we may be Pharisees, if we believe power is what matters most. Pharisees don't need Jesus. They don't need God because they're good enough. They're righteous in their own actions. They see no need to humble themselves. The righteous reject Jesus and his ministry, but Jesus, how does he respond to them? Well, Jesus rejects those who think they're righteous. Jesus rejects those who think they're good enough. Jesus rejects those who think they are better than others. Luke 5, 31 through 32, Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, this illustration isn't original to me. I heard this, but I just want to share it with you for a second. Imagine that you go you're going to go to the doctor's office, and you kind of do a self-review, and you say, well, what are the reasons that you go to the doctor's office, right? You go to the doctor's office for a head cold. Uh, maybe you go for the doc to the doctor's office because you have the flu. Uh, maybe it's because you, you pulled a muscle from doing CrossFit. All those things are valid and good reasons to go to the doctor, right? 
And you have none of those. You're fine. You're perfect. You're like perfectly healthy. But you decide to go to the doctor's office anyways. And when you show up, the doctor says, well, what's wrong? And you say, nothing. Nothing's wrong. I feel great. And the doctor says, well, why are you here then? What would you say? It's because I just wanted to see you. (laughs) And that's when you have to find a new doctor. (laughs) See, we go to Dr. Jesus when we realize that we're sick when we realize that we're broken, when we realize that we have a sickness called sin that we can't deal with in our own power, that no matter how many Band-Aids we put on our life, we'll never be okay. That's why we go to Dr. Jesus. We recognize that I am sick. We are sick. Jesus has not come to call the healthy but the sick. I hope that, if nothing else, that when we leave here tonight, that we will be willing to recognize that in our own power, and our own strength, we are sick. If you're unwilling to admit, like, I'm broken and I'm sinful and I'm sick, then Jesus will respect that decision. <laughs> Jesus won't save you, but you're still sick. So you'll die in your sickness, and I don't want that for anyone. Jesus rejects those who think they're righteous without him, but there's good news. See, that's kind of the bad news, but there's always good news with the Bible. And that's this, that Jesus accepts repentant sinners as righteous. This is the gospel, that Jesus accepts repentant sinners as righteous. Luke 5.32, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Repentance, what does that mean? That's not like a a very common word that we use, but it it means turning from sin and turning to God. I I went out to breakfast with some uh, friends this morning after CrossFit, and I asked them uh, a question. I asked them, like, the word repentance. Like, what does it mean? What do you think repentance means? And I really liked uh, the answer that uh, one of my friends gave. She said, uh, repentance is buying flowers for your wife when you haven't done dishes for a week. (laughs) Repentance is buying flowers for your wife when you haven't done the dishes for a week. And I said, that's pretty good. But I actually want to flesh it out a little bit more. See, that's half the picture. Half the picture is buying flowers. What are, you, what are you saying when you buy flowers? You're saying, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're saying, I blew it. I shouldn't have let the dishes stack up this high. And that is the first step in repentance, saying, I'm sorry, God. But what if you buy the flowers and then you get like one of your dirty vases from the sink and then you put the flowers in the dirty vase and you just kind of leave it there and you leave the dishes in the sink and you go about your normal everyday life. Do you think your wife will be very happy with you? I don't. Because you haven't really demonstrated full repentance. See, the second half of repentance is washing the dishes. It's changing your life. It's changing the, the direction that you were headed So repentance isn't just saying, I'm sorry, and buying the flowers, but actually repentance isn't just trying to change your life. Repentance isn't just washing the dishes, because then you're just trying to clean up your life. You're just trying to be better. 
No, repentance is having a relationship with God and and working with God to change your life. Working with the Holy Spirit. Turning from sin to God through the Holy Spirit. That's what repentance is. See, the gospel is the good news that God takes people who are sinful and broken, who are classified as sinners, and through their repentance... (laughs) He makes them into righteous people. He declares them righteous. And then he aligns their their lives and their actions with what they declare. The gospel is really good news because in this life, like you and I, we're never truly going to demonstrate full repentance. In this life, I'm never going to turn away from my sins completely because I'm fallen and I'm broken and I'm going to keep messing up. I'm going to keep disobeying God. And that's why there's such good news that, that Jesus left everything to come and follow us. Jesus left everything to come into this world and save us from our sins. He lived the perfect life. He lived the sinless life. He died the innocent death. He rose again on the third day. And then he ascended into heaven. He says, if you believe in me, if you trust in me, I'm going to give you credit for my perfect life. I'm going to declare you righteous. I'm going to accept you as perfectly repentant. I'm going to make you righteous. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the good news that sinners need to hear. That through Jesus, sinners can become righteous. Sinners can become beautiful saints. Now Jesus calls us to to leave our heaven, just like him, the places where we feel safe and secure and to enter into the mess, <laughs> to go out and, and to fellowship with people that may make us look bad, <laughs> to go out and spend time with people that, that will cuss and curse and, and may be a bad influence on us. <laughs> he says to go out and influence them with the message of Jesus Christ. This is what we call messy discipleship. Getting out there and being willing to risk something for Christ. So there's two applications that I want to give us as we head towards a closing. The first application is let's eat and drink with those who don't know Jesus. Yet. I want to add that yet. Let's eat and drink with people who don't know Jesus yet. What if you were to go out from here and begin to form intentional relationships, either at your, your office or uh, the, the things you do, playing pool, going out, uh, being in this world? What if you were to go out and form intentional relationships with people that don't know Christ, that aren't good people? <laughs> what if you were to invite your neighbor to go to Starbucks with you and just have a cup of Starbucks? Or, excuse me, Dunkin' Donuts. What if you were to uh, spend your cafeteria lunchtime at work sitting with your coworkers and talking with them and hearing about their lives? When I was back in my 20s, uh, when I worked for the Farm Credit Administration, uh, my early 20s, uh, I was 20 on Monday, no longer. Uh, I, I worked for the Farm Credit Administration, and... I worked there for about a year, uh, but about 
I don't know, six, seven months in, I stopped going to lunch with my coworkers because I wanted to work out and go for runs uh, over my lunch break. Uh, and I, I went and worked out with another coworker, and it was good. You know, we talked about some things of faith, but I do feel like I sent the signal to my coworkers that I didn't want to be around them, <laughs> that I had better things to do. And they knew I was a Christian, so that wasn't a, a great message to send. What if we try to to use those moments for Christ and for his kingdom? I think that's a way that we can eat and drink with those that don't know Jesus yet. How about as a church? How can we be doing this as a church? Well, I think we continue to do these fellowship times and bring friends and invite friends to come and to to share in the service. We have a game night coming up in February, February 23rd. It's a Friday night. Bring your board games or your card games and bring your friends. And we're just going to do it here. We're going to open it up. There's not really like a gospel presentation or anything. We just want to get people comfortable in church. So invite a friend. Bring a snack. Bring a drink. Let's eat and drink. But there's more to it than just the eating and the drinking. There's also talking. Let's talk about grace and repentance with them. Let's, let's tell them about the Savior who came to spend time with people that everyone else looked down upon. Let's tell them about him. And let's call them to repentance. Man, this is like the hard part. <laughs> Jesus said, I have come to call sinners to repentance. That means saying, like, turn from sin, turn to Christ. This is a really hard aspect. I recently got pretty good advice on how to like open up conversations about Jesus with your friends. Just say, you know that like spirituality, my faith, is a big part of my life. Would you feel comfortable letting me tell you a little bit more? I bet they'll say yes. <laughs> Just... See where it goes. Start to talk about Jesus. Start to talk about your church. Ask them questions. What do you think about Jesus? What do you think about the church? What do you think about sin? Is that a real thing? What do you think of this idea of repentance? What is repentance? If you need, like, if you want accountability and you want some coaching, sign up for the small group on evangelism. You can go to the table in the back after the service and sign up. It's going to be a great time to to think about evangelism. So to remember the kind of the applications, the takeaways from this sermon, just remember eat, drink, talk. Eat, drink, talk. My final like, closing question is, are you righteous or are you repentant? <laughs> See, if you consider yourself to be righteous, to be good enough, then maybe some things that I've said tonight will offend you. and You'll go out from here and you'll say, I'm good. I don't need any of this church stuff. I don't need any of this Jesus stuff. And you may perceive yourself to be good enough, but God won't. (laughs) And his opinion is what matters most. But if you walk out of here saying, I want to be repentant, I want to turn from my sin, I want to turn to God, even in this place of like needing to, 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 to live and to be around the kinds of people that Jesus was around, then then that's good. That's where we're supposed to be at. I want to close by saying a prayer and I just invite you to kind of say it along with me in your hearts, a prayer of repentance and kind of praying through the things we learned about in this service. So please join me. 
Heavenly Father, I'm sorry for the ways I perceive myself to be better than others. I do this by the little judgments I make in my heart towards them. Father, I confess this is sin. Would you help me change? Help me invite broken people who do not know you into my life. Help me eat and drink with sinners. Help me do this because your son, Jesus Christ, did it, and I want to be like him. Help me talk with them about grace, about the Savior, and about repentance. In my own strength and my own power, I will never do it. But through your Holy Spirit, I can step forward in faith. Father, help us do this as a church. Would we be known as a church that eats and drinks and talks with sinners? Heavenly Father, thank you for counting me righteous. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins and accepting me like you accept Jesus. Thank you for his innocent life. Thank you for his sacrificial death. And thank you for his resurrection, that one day I will rise again from the grave just like him too. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. I love you. We love you. Amen.